0: Today we continue in the series that I'm calling Blueprint and we're thinking about a biblical blueprint for the life of the church. Why was the church founded? What does it exist for? What what can be changed? What can't be changed? And how can it be changed? We're thinking through some of those questions and, and learning about the life of the church. And we're turning to the book we call Ephesians. This early writing from the Apostle Paul written apparently to a group of churches, maybe Ephesus first. It's much more like a handbook than a letter and lays out the life of the church. And last week we talked about, okay, what happens when we follow Jesus? Does does anything tangible really change because I say I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And we said following Jesus means something changes. It really does change. And we laid out several things that change because we decide to follow Jesus. This week, we turn a little bit of a corner and we're thinking about purpose. Why does the church exist? Why have we been called together as a body of believers to, to be followers of Jesus in a group? you know, purpose is really important. And over the past uh, few months, I've thought a lot about purpose. And I think it's because we've walked through this strange time, the pandemic, and, and there was a time when lots of us spent a good bit of time at home. And during that, I was really thinking through about the things that matter. And I, and I got a little tired of meetings that didn't have a lot of a point and and being in groups that really didn't have a purpose and I thought a lot about that maybe you did too and and I've heard some people say you know because of that because I had to step away from a lot of things and I was thinking about those things that I do in life and the stuff that fills my life I decided when it was over to to step away from a few of those that felt like maybe they didn't have a lot of purpose and that's true for me too And then there's other people who have said, you know, I recognize some shortcomings in my life and I've sought out new opportunities to make a difference, to serve, to be part of things that really have a purpose. And we think about the purpose of the church. I think sometimes we think, wow, that church over there is really awesome because they have so much activity. There's something going on in that building all the time. But here's the question. Is just keeping people busy... The purpose of the church? And the answer is no. I really do get tired of going to meetings that don't have a purpose in lots of different organizations. And so just keeping busy is not our goal. Our goal is to do something meaningful. So, what does that look like? Well, today I want us to think a little bit about that. And to do that, really we're taking a step back from church and thinking about who Jesus is. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and how we relate to Him. And then Paul comes back to that at the end of the passage. So it's the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians 1. Paul is praying for these Christians that he's writing to and helping them understand Jesus. And then he lays out some key truths about Jesus that transform how we know Jesus, how we understand ourselves and certainly how we understand our life together as the church. So let's walk through that. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And there's a purpose for that. Here's the purpose. So that you may know Him better. So that you may know Him better. Better One of Paul's goals for these early Christians was that they would continue to grow in their knowledge of God. And I think that's true for us too, right? I mean, when we come to the point of I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we probably know some basics about who God is. But that should not be where we stop. And so Paul was praying that they would be filled with a spirit of wisdom and understanding so their knowledge of God wouldn't just stay where it was, okay, we have this basic idea of who God is, but that throughout their lives, in other words, they're never done, they would keep growing in their knowledge of God. Okay, he's got that laid out. So how do they do that? Three things that he wants them to know. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know here they are, the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. So, three things. The first of them is hope. He wants them to know the hope that He's called them to. We, as Christians, are a people of hope. Scripture says we don't grieve like everyone else because we're looking forward to something. And so, we want to share that hope. God wants us to grow in that hope. When we have hope in the future based on God, we're learning to know Him better. He wants us to understand our inheritance. Last week, we talked about being adopted into sonship. That makes us heirs. Okay? We inherit something from God, and those things are the great blessings we have. Things like forgiveness, things like God's mercy. We talked about grace, and certainly the gifts of forgiveness and eternal life. So we inherit those things. And then finally, he talks about power. Paul wants us to know the power of God. Now why did that matter? Well, it mattered to Paul because Paul was living in a culture that was based on power. He lived in the Roman Empire. And when you live in the Roman Empire, it matters who has the power. And the power is vested ultimately in the emperor. Everything else streams out from him. Okay, All the power in the vast bureaucracy of the Roman Empire, and they knew about bureaucracy. Okay, We do too, but they knew it way back then the large Roman army, all those things, the power comes from the emperor. Paul wants them to see where real power comes from and what real power looks like when it's exercised because it doesn't look like what Rome thought it looked like. Okay, so he continues, and then he lays out that power. He wants us to know God by hope, inheritance, power, And here's the power he's talking about. Pick up in the middle of verse 19. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted. Now pause there. Listen to the language that Paul uses. That power, notice these words, is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted. Four words that almost mean the same thing. They are all power at work in one way or another. Paul wants us to know, if you think you know what power is by looking at the emperor, let me tell you about power. okay? And to drive that point home, he uses four words that basically mean power or power at work. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul says, okay, if you want to know what power looks like, it's not a Roman army. uh, It's not gladiators. It's not a Roman governor who has supreme authority over some Roman province. It's not any of that. If you want to know what power looks like, here it is. Jesus raised from the dead. I say, okay, I guess that makes sense. But... But think about it. This is a world-changing moment. We say, well, weren't there people raised from the dead before? There were, right? We can look in the Old Testament. Elijah raises someone from the dead. Elisha raises someone from the dead. Jesus raises at least two. We know the story of Lazarus. We studied it not long ago. But here's the thing. The people that we read in Scripture, and the number is few. Must be sure we note that. The people that we read about in Scripture who are raised from the dead... All died again, right? They're not with us today. But Jesus, when Jesus is raised from the dead, it's not only that he just sort of his body comes back to life, but that Jesus defeats death. Jesus didn't die again. Jesus ascended to be with God. That's what Paul's talking about. Jesus was raised from the dead and then He is exalted to the right hand of God. He receives this place of honor. There is no greater display of power than when Jesus defeats the enemy of our Our bodies, our humanness, the created order. Death is all about disorder and destroying God's creation. Jesus brings it back when he is raised from the dead. It is the greatest expression of God's power that we have. And Paul says, I want you to see that. I want you to see that you worship a God of power. Now think about it. Rome had its gods. I mean, there's this vast array of gods that they would have worshipped. Each city had its patron god. And the emperor himself, with all his power, is seen as a god. And Paul says, none of that compares with Jesus. None of that compares with who Jesus was and God's power expressed in him. He says, this Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus stands above all human authority, all spiritual authority, good power, bad power, anything you can name. Jesus is Lord of all of those. Heaven and earth come together. God's power at work. This is Jesus. And that's who we worship. Because he deserves it, like no one else does. And so here we have this Jesus that we've been called to worship, who exercises his power in a different way than Rome, in a different way than the dark spiritual powers that we see at work in terms of Satan and evil spirits in the New Testament. And Jesus came. Scripture tells us, the gospel writers tell us, preaching the kingdom of God. And this is where we see the beginning of fulfillment of that. When we hear Jesus say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, sometimes we think something that's off in the future. But the truth is, it's now. When Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead, the kingdom was ushered in and will be fulfilled in the end. So we are living in the kingdom of God. And that power is at work Now, and we might say, if we're living in the kingdom of God, why is the world so messed up? Why do we go through bad stuff? Because God still allows us to make decisions. He doesn't force us to follow Him. He doesn't force us to do what's right. We get to choose. And we human beings sometimes choose really bad stuff. And so often the result is suffering and even death. But yet, Christians have this great ability and great responsibility to share what is good and right in Jesus. And over the years, if we look back on Christian history, we can see Christians who have messed it up, Really bad, right? I mean, it doesn't take long to look and see Christians who have forgotten who they should have been and went in the wrong direction, but we have also seen Christians who have gotten it really right and have expressed the power of God in terms of love and kindness and grace and forgiveness and healing and have reached out to encourage and serve and been a light of God's power at work in the world. And that's what we're called to be. That's the people that each one of us need to be as we follow Jesus. Now, let's bring this back to the church. Verse 22. And God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything. Okay, that's Jesus in charge of all. That's the kingdom of God at work in Jesus. But, see how this works? Head over everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, we are called to be an expression of Jesus to the world around us. Okay, we're called to get to know God, and to get to know God, we need to know His power that was at work in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus, okay? But when we understand that, what we also get is the way that God has chosen to work that power in the world today through His Son is the body of Christ, which is us. See, we have this great honor, the the tremendous responsibility to share with the people around us who Jesus is. Because we are His body. He's the head, okay? And we're the body that is connected. We are connected to one another and there's not three or four or five or six bodies even in our town. There's one body of Christ on earth, And we're part of it. We share in it. It's our identity. And we share the power of Jesus as his body. Now, we don't exercise power like the world understands it. It's not about dominating. It's not about subjugating. It's about serving. It's about showing love. If we had to boil it down, I'd say it this way. Our mission is to show people the king. I mean, we're in the kingdom and our mission is to show people who the king is. Jesus. He's not a king like the world understands kings. He's not power like the world understands power. He shows it in a very different way. But this is our mission. And, and I think there's three things that we can do to make that happen. A matter of fact, we can make a long list, but three that I've chosen that I think are important in this. First of all, we need to know who Jesus is. If we're going to express this King to the people around us, then we've got to know Jesus ourselves. And that means we need to read the stories. We need to read the Gospels and, and get the stories in ourselves. Now, I think we can do that. You know, maybe be sure to read one Gospel every year. Be sure to read all four every year. They're not that long. Take the time to look at the stories of Jesus to see who he was, to see how he exercised power, to see what it meant when he said, I'm bringing in, I'm ushering in the kingdom of God, to read those accounts of his death, burial, and resurrection, and the people who saw him afterwards, all those things at work in Jesus. But it's not just the stories. You know, one of the things that I've been reawakened to over the past few months are the things that Paul has to say about Jesus. Passages like this, classic passages in the New Testament that lay out not the story of Jesus, but the meaning of his identity and how that transforms us as individuals and as the church. And so we need to be reading these passages. Sometimes I've read passages like we read this morning and thought, well, Paul's just using some flowery language to talk about Jesus. It sounds good, but I know who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. That's that. But when we read this and actually take it slow and hear what Paul's saying, that Jesus... Is the ultimate expression of God's power, and He is exalted to the right hand of God, reigning over all things. That changes how I understand Him, and it should. So read the stories and read what the rest of the New Testament writings say about who Jesus is. And the second, we need to recognize He's in charge, that Jesus is Lord. Here's the thing I like to be in charge, don't you? I like to decide the direction of my life. I like to decide what will happen. But when I say Jesus is Lord, and that's the oldest confession of faith that we find in Scripture, Jesus is Lord. When I say that, I'm saying all this stuff that Paul just said, that Jesus is in charge. I'm not. And so I've got to spend my life in his service doing his work, sharing the message that he's the king. And if I'm not doing that, I'm taking power away from Jesus, and that's not going to work because I'm not as powerful as him. I was created to share the image of Jesus with the people around me. And part of that image is him as king. And then third, just that, we need to express Jesus to the people around us. We need to show them who he is so that they can see this power at work. I think the best way we do that is to follow the mission that we've laid out for our church, to love God and love others. I don't know any better way to express who Jesus is than to love God and love others. There's going to be a time when we need to talk about Jesus, talk about His story, talk about what He's done. But the way we get to that is to love God and love others. We're called to show people Who the king is. God's ultimate expression of his authority is Jesus. And he has brought all things together under him. Physical and spiritual, powers in heaven and on earth, all good, all bad, is under his rule. And in the end, it will be brought to the fullness that we read about at the end of chapter 1. I want to be part of that. I can't think of anything better to do with my life than to share what God has done in Jesus, in small ways and in large ways, but to participate with Christians in this room, in our community, throughout the world, and show what Jesus has done. So think about that. What have you done? It's good for the church. It's good for the church at times to say, you know what, we've been called to be the body of Christ, to share the message of Jesus with the people around us. Are we doing that? Are we showing people the King? Or are we just really busy? Because really busy is not good enough. And so we as the church need to ask ourselves sometimes, is our activity leading us to our mission. It's what we do leading us to fulfill this mission, to share the message of Jesus with the world around us so that they can know that God has made him king. Ask yourself that. Ask yourself that about your own life. Are we ready to show people Jesus is king? Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for Jesus, thankful that we share in the power that was at work in his death, burial, and resurrection. And God, we pray that we will be an expression of that to everyone we come in contact with. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.